but instead let there be thanksgiving. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I think we all know that sometimes it's easy to get lost in the trees and miss the forest, as the saying goes. I think the same can be said for our Sunday lectionary readings. Our lectionary readings offer up a very healthy diet of scripture with Old Testament readings, New Testament epistles, gospels, not to mention the psalms we sing every Sunday. But sometimes we, or at least I, uh, can end up taking the Sunday morning readings kind of in isolation, not remembering that they come in the context of the previous week's readings. I mean, a week is a long time to remember something you read, isn't it? We've been reading through Ephesians and preaching on Ephesians for our uh, uh, sermon uh, series this summer uh, for over a month now. So pop quiz, do you remember what we talked about on July 11th? Just kidding, I know. Summer, it's still summertime, right? School hasn't started yet. But I do love the lectionary readings and, and working our way through these rich uh, texts of the Bible. But this approach does maybe encourage this tendency to read a passage of scripture as if it were some kind of self-contained oracle, a, a fortune cookie lesson, or some kind of quote of the day from the newspaper. So when we come to our reading in Ephesians today, we might be inclined to see simply a bunch of do's and don'ts. Don't fornicate, don't be greedy, don't be silly. But I think that's missing the forest for these individual trees. These utterances are, are not meant to be read in isolation, but rather these sayings of Paul come after he spent so much time casting a vision of a new life for Christians. This is a new life with a new ethic that can only be pursued in the light of being in Christ, as Paul says numerous times. For Paul, the, the new reality of our life in Christ provides the means by which we can live differently. It's like Paul has said, here's the reality, and, and now he's saying, here's what this means for how you live. Here's the reality, and now here's what it means for how you interact with one another. Here's the reality, and now here's what it means for how you engage in the surrounding culture. A new reality entails a new way of living. So in order to set our readings today in context, in order to more deeply understand some of these don'ts, I think we need to go back to the, the beginning of chapter 5. Our reading today starts in verse 3, but verses 1 through 2 serve as a completion to the ideas in the previous chapter and lead us into this next section. So Paul says in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul's been reminding the church that to be living in Christ is to be living a new life, one not marked by ways of the world, but one marked by the example of Christ. Be imitators of God as beloved children. The reality is that living in Christ has made it possible for Christians to have an intimate relationship with God and therefore to imitate God. I wonder sometimes if we've gotten too used to this idea of having a close relationship with God in our time and culture. Maybe we've swung the pendulum too far and we kind of think of God as our buddy or like our cosmic butler or something like that. But if you can imagine kind of framing Paul's words in this light, if you can imagine a God who is more distant, more indifferent, aloof, not interested in you, and then see Paul trying to shift that pendulum to have the mindset of a reality of God loving you as a loving father, as, as you being God's children. 
That would be a radical shift. That is a radical shift in our understanding of the relationship and connection that we have with God. Not as aloof and indifferent, but as a beloved child to a loving parent. But Paul doesn't just stop with acknowledging this reality. He's not saying, uh, God loves you, have some warm fuzzies. Rather, the reality has consequences for our actions, consequences for our behavior. You are beloved children of God, and because of this, be imitators of God. And to be an imitator of God is to be an imitator of Christ, for Jesus Christ is God. In fact, this is one of the great benefits of the Incarnation. We don't have to imagine what it would be like for God to be a human being. We have God as a human being in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we can imitate his example, imitate his behavior. We can look to Christ who is God in the form of a human, and we can imitate what we see there. So Paul then describes a, a key characteristic of Christ for us to imitate, which is Christ's self-sacrificial love. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a sacrifice to God. Christ's love, God's love for us, is a sacrificial love. As Paul describes in Philippians 2, uh, in the incarnation, Christ forewent the glory that he had in heaven in order to take on the form of a servant, a servant for us and for our salvation. As we too are in Christ, we can imitate this pattern of life, giving up our own comforts and glory in order to serve others. We can self-sacrifice because Christ first self-sacrificed for us. And so it's in light of this context, then, do I think that we come to these do's and don'ts in today's reading. Paul says that fornication, impurity of any kind, or greed must not even be mentioned among you. And he's not saying don't talk about it. He's saying it shouldn't even be an issue at all. Of course, I think we, knew, we know all too well that Illicit sexual activity, impurity, and the rampant pursuit of wealth marks our society, our time, our culture all too well. Not even mentioned among you, it seems like fornication and greed are like key contributors to our nation's economy. But we can see how flowing from a reality of self-sacrificial love, behaviors like this would be unfitting for a beloved child of God. Take greed, for instance. We might say that greed is an excessive desire for some good thing, or also at times the desire for an excessive amount of some good thing. It's either an excessive desire or a desire for excess. It's not at all wrong to desire good things. That's natural, and I think by divine design. But it is wrong to excessively or obsessively desire something, and it's wrong to desire too much of that good thing. When one is greedy, one is self-focused, not others-focused. When one's greedy, one is the opposite of self-sacrificial. But then one is not being loving to either God or our neighbor. And think again of Christ. There's no greater good, no greater good thing than equality with God that he enjoyed prior to the incarnation. Again, back to Philippians 2. An excessive desire for this, a greedy desire, would have moved Christ to stay in heaven and not become incarnate for us. But instead, Christ shows us his self-sacrificial love by not displaying an excessive desire for this good. And this is why those who are greedy or impure or, or sexually immoral are said by Paul to not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. An inheritance is due to children, 
But those who are, as Paul says, sexually immoral, impure, the greedy, they don't live as though they are in Christ. They don't live as though they're beloved children. And so Paul simply reasons, if you aren't a child of God, you aren't going to get an inheritance. Well, I think the implicit reminder in this passage is that Paul's audience are children of God. We Christians are beloved children of God. And as beloved children, we can be imitators of Christ, imitating his self-sacrificial love so that sexual immorality, impurity, or greed aren't even mentioned among us. We have this statement of the reality. We are loved children of God. And because of this, we can imitate God, imitate him as he became one of us in Christ. And as we imitate Christ, we imitate his self-sacrificial love, and so do not fornicate or act greedily. But is there more to it than just remember that you're a child of God? I think so. I think Paul gives us a little clue uh, to an antidote to our self-focus that can encourage our Christ-like self-sacrificial love. And this is the little phrase at the end of verse 4. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Think about giving thanks for a second. When we give thanks, we give thanks when we receive something that isn't owed to us. We say thanks when we're given a gift. We don't say thanks when we're owed something and, or when we're entitled to something, and we definitely don't say thanks when we get something we think we're entitled to. And look at how that works with greed. The desire for excess is closely linked with a sense that we're owed more than we have. Why should I be satisfied with just one cookie? I deserve more. I'm owed the whole box. And then we don't say thanks when we get the whole box and we want a second box. But Thanksgiving short circuits this, this attitude, this process. Giving thanks means that we're not owed the item we're given. And cultivating an attitude of Thanksgiving helps us to realize that the world is not our own, it's God's. And we simply receive from God all that we have is from the hand of a loving parent. But then, so I think Paul's argument goes, it's easier to act self-sacrificially. Our lives are not owed to us, they're gifts from God. And so we can use them not greedily for ourselves, but lovingly for God and for our neighbors. Every Sunday in the church calendar is a feast day, a feast of the resurrection. Uh, but today, August 15th, is also the feast of St. Mary the Virgin, Mother of Our Lord, as it's officially called in the prayer book. And one thing I think that St. Mary shows us in conversation with our focus on Ephesians today is this kind of radical, self-sacrificial openness to God that enables us to achieve these do's and don'ts. Mary is one of the supreme examples of embracing a new reality of connection to God. We all know the story of the Annunciation well. When the angel announced to her that she had become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, a reality that's nearly incomprehensible, she didn't shy away, but simply and boldly proclaimed, may it be to me according to your word. Mary's response was a self-sacrificial one, sacrificing her own plans or goals or desires, and instead displaying this openness to God, a, a radical openness to God, by which she received the most intimate connection to God a human has ever had, God actually becoming incarnate within her own body. She became a, a vessel of God's salvific work in the world. She became a means by which God could do what he wished for humanity's redemption. 
Mary sacrificed herself in order to serve others, like all of us, all of humanity. And even just a bit further in, in Luke, after he describes the Annunciation, he records Mary uh, singing the Song of Mary, which we often say at evening prayer. And this song is a song of thanksgiving. It's a song of gratitude, where Mary thanks God for using her and for coming to save God's people. This, then, I think, can be a great example for us. Paul tells us to be imitators of God, and that might be a bit hard to imagine. So we have God incarnate, Jesus Christ, whose self-sacrificial love we can imitate. But even Jesus himself might be a bit distant at times. I think it's easy for him. He was the son of God. But Mary is a bit different, a bit more like us in some respects. And perhaps in this manner, her example might be a bit more relatable. So let us heed Paul's words in the whole forest as we think about the trees of avoiding sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. Let's remember that we are beloved children of God, called to imitate God by following the example of self-sacrificial love that Christ shows us. And let us also with thanksgiving respond to God like St. Mary did. May it be to me according to your word. Amen.